Good seat, get settled in. We're all really glad to have you, and I trust it's going to be a, a good night receiving from the Word of God. So, Father, I thank you that tonight you've gathered us and you've brought us to the place where we can hear with open hearts and open ears and open eyes. Lord, I pray that as you speak, as we read your word, as, as we talk about it, that you would speak through me, that you'd speak to us, and Lord, that uh, our hearts would be wide open to receive it. Father, if there's anything standing in the way of us hearing clearly, I ask that you just move that out of the way so that we can freely receive. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles uh, back to Colossians. As we've been going through Colossians all uh, on these Wednesday nights, and uh, we find ourselves at Colossians 4. I'm a little sad that we find ourselves at Colossians 4, because it's the last chapter. And I don't like last chapters. Uh, I wish we could stay here forever. But I, I think it's good. I want to read... Um, Starting for verse 2, last week we talked about prayer. We talked about devoting ourselves to prayer. Devoting yourselves to prayer is different than being a Christian who prays from time to time. It's different than being a good churchgoer. Devoting yourselves to prayer means that you believe that's part of your assignment is who you are. And you notice that he doesn't talk to one group of people in the church. He talks to the entire church and says, entire church... Entire church of Colossae, devote yourselves to prayer, right? So, you know, like I said last week, don't pawn it off on two or three people in the church. Well, there are prayer warriors. We'll let them go. Thank God for people that have a heart for prayer. We need more people like that. Amen. Amen? But that doesn't mean you stop praying. And that, we need more, not less. And you don't just say, well, that's their job. My job is to, uh, you know, uh, pass out flyers. My job is to do this. No, we're all called to prayer. We're all called to, to be devoted to it. So last week, we talked about what a devoted prayer life looks like. That's more than just ritual. That's more than just good habits. A devoted prayer life is someone who set themselves apart for that purpose. Here's what it says. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Now, here's where we left off last week. Praying at the same time for us as well. That God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I've also been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So tonight we're going to talk about something that we've talked about before. Hopefully we're going to touch on some new ground, but we've talked about this, the, the idea in the scripture of open doors and how Open doors are important. Open doors need to be recognized. And open doors don't always just open by themselves. Here, the Apostle Paul, and, and this is important that you realize this, this guy is one of our superheroes. He's one of the guys that we look at and say, man, if he were alive today, we wish we could have him come speak at our church. Or this guy knew what he was doing. If, if we could all be a bit more like Paul, we'd be better off. Sometimes when we create these spiritual superheroes, we think that they don't need people like us. You know, it's just him and Jesus, and, and he's just fine. Look, look, he's got everything he needs. He'll go where he's supposed to go. I, you know, I, 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 don't think he, I don't think he even knows that there's any other Christians uh, necessary. He's just going to go out, be the tip of the spear. He's going to get it done for Jesus, and thank God for people like Paul. But Paul doesn't talk like that. In fact, throughout his letters, he says, pray for me. Pray for us. There are times where he's near death, and he says this. He says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance because of your prayers. Hear that? Because of your prayers and the provision of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you are playing an important role in whether I live or die. There's another part where he says, you need to pray for us that we be delivered from the hands of evil men, for not all have faith. Do you hear that? He's saying, my life's in your hands. No, Paul, you don't need us. You just need Jesus, right? Paul, you're a superhero. Flex your muscles in the name of Jesus, and demons will flee. No, he goes, I need you. I need you praying. Quick poll here. How many of you think that Paul's saying this just to get people involved? Just to try to like make them feel good about themselves. Does anybody believe that? 
No, why? Because that wouldn't be consistent with Scripture, right? That's kind of deceiving. He's, he's not tricking the church into feeling like they're doing something. This is important. Now, if there's anybody here that thinks, well, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm a better believer than Paul was. I'm stronger than Paul was. I'm more spiritual than Paul was. Why don't you stand up and just go because you don't need anything else. You're fine, you know? <laughs> now, if this guy needed prayer, how many of us know that we need it too? Those that minister to us need it. Those that we send out into the nations need it. If they need it, are they getting it? Right? You know, we live in sort of a consumer culture where it's, you know, we, people come to church and go, what does this church have to offer for me? What kind of kids program do they have? Is the music good? Uh, is the preaching good but short enough? <laughs> Almost too long. Oh, I like this church. It's got quick access to McDonald's. There's a second cup down the road. Tim Horton's there. Oh, this is good. So we come with all these things that it has to offer. But that's, none of those things is really what a church is. A church is not a store. It's not Disneyland. It's not any of those things. A church is a family, right? A church is a gathering, an assembling of saints. A church is a body. A church is not this building, but it is a spiritual building that you're a brick in, that you're a stone in. You're a living stone in a building. So if that's true, God doesn't compare us to a corporation. He compares it to a kingdom. But he compares us often, when he talks about his church, he compares us to a body that needs the other parts, right? A body that's dependent on the other parts. Parts that need each other. And so when we talk about a church, we have to come with the expectation of I'm needed, I'm necessary. And if this guy's asking for my prayers, if he's saying, pray for us, I believe that he's not just trying to say, you know, I, I need to give them busy work. If I don't give them busy work, they're going to they're gonna be bored or they're going to they're gonna watch too much Netflix. I need to give them some reasons to pray. No, your prayers are changing things. Specifically here, what's he asking you to pray for? Pray that an open, there'd be an open door for the word. Let's read that again. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer. He says, praying for us at the same time that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I've been in prison that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Now, throughout these letters, pardon me as I'm really struggling with this microphone here. Throughout these letters, this idea of doors comes up. And there's some different phrases that you'll find in the Bible. In the book of Acts, after the gospel had reached Antioch, now there's like ton, there's 16 different Antiochs in, in, in the Bible map that you have at the back of your Bible. It doesn't name them all because that would be crazy, but there's a lot of Antiochs. But there was a specific Antioch that, that's up in Syria here where the way this church started was different than the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was full of Jewish people, right? It's Jerusalem. Full of Jewish people who are saying now we, we know the Messiah, it's Jesus, right? And, and up to this point, they're only talking to other Jews. They're, only, they're going to the synagogue and reasoning with their fellow Jews and saying, Jesus is the Messiah we've been waiting for. Here's what the law and the prophets say about Jesus. And then when persecution comes, when Saul of Tarsus starts messing with the church and scattering the church, then what happens is, is that people leave Jerusalem, and they go other places where, where it's safer. But the Bible says that as they go, they're still just talking to other Jews, except for this one group. And there's a specific group that heads toward Antioch, and it says they, they talk to other Jews, but they also talk to Gentiles, to Greeks. And they settle at this church in Antioch, and the Bible says that the hand of the Lord is on them. And miracles start to take place, and people start to get saved, and it's Jews and Gentiles alike. And, and the church sends a man named Barnabas to come and to encourage them and to see what's going on. And the Bible says he witnesses the grace of God on this church. And the cool thing is when he sees what God is doing, he goes and he gets Saul, who's the reason these people had to leave, but he's now a believer and he goes and gets him and says, you got to see what God's doing. And these two become two of the leaders of this church, and the church just takes off. But 
what's cool about it is, is that later on, they've got to come back to their friends and give a report on what's happening in a church like Antioch and, and what's happening. What happened to Peter uh, when he was in Cornelius' house? And they've got to explain why all of a sudden God's letting the Gentiles hear the gospel. And he says this, this is what the way Luke writes it in the book of Acts. He says, they go back and they tell their, their brothers and sisters how God has opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. That's really cool. Listen to that. A door of faith. What does that mean? That means that something has opened in their heart. God's doing a work amongst a whole group of people where it's very easy to believe. Where the, the, the soil is right. The atmosphere is, is ready. God opened a door of faith. So we see this in the Bible. We see a door of faith. We see doors of utterance, as Paul talks about here. What's a door of utterance? It means that God's going to give me the words to speak, that there's a time, a place, and people that are going to hear this word, and it's going to come out clearly. These are open doors. Now, from, the, from, from what I can see, wherever Paul went, he preached the gospel. Until Jesus specifically told him, don't go there. Don't preach there yet. That place isn't ready. You need to be in Macedonia. But for the most part, wherever he went, he preached the gospel. He, and he usually hit the synagogue first, and then he'd go talk to the Gentiles after. So he's got a pattern. Everywhere he goes, he preaches the gospel. But here's one thing you notice. Whenever he talks about there being a door open for him, he stays longer. So this is the first thing I want to talk to you about. Because God is going to put open doors in your life, open doors of utterance where, where it's, it's, you know, he's giving you a, a place to speak to somebody. He's giving you an opportunity to share the gospel. That's extraordinary. It's not just your normal, this would be a good place to share the gospel. Because we all believe that we should be preaching the gospel with our words and our actions all the time, right? Are you waiting for a sign from heaven to tell somebody about Jesus? You know, does there need to be a host of angels saying glory to God in the highest before you open your mouth? No, we're, we're, we're preachers of the gospel. You know, we share the good news wherever we go. So what's the difference between sharing the gospel all the time and recognizing that there's an open door for the gospel? I think an open door means that there's an unusual whether, it, whether it's a set of circumstances or a certain reception from people or it's open hearts, but it is a, a place where you are going to find uh, exceptionally fruitful service on the other side of it. That's what Paul said. He said, a door has opened for me. A wide door for effective service has opened for me. And there are many adversaries. And every time he said there's a door, he said, so I'm going to stay a little bit longer. So here's what I think. I think when God opens a door for you, it's going to change your schedule. You should preach the gospel everywhere. But when you recognize there's an open door, that means you need to hang out here for a bit. You need to change your schedule. When there's an open door, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. When there's open doors of faith, when there's open doors of utterance, then that's not the time to keep going house to house. That is the time that you focus on the door that God opened for you. And it's important to recognize them. Well, how do I recognize? What, what, what makes an open door? Some people believe, well, I know God opens a door because when God opens a door, everything just falls into place and, and everybody is just, you know, really happy to see me and they're really excited to hear the word. Well, I, I agree. All those things could happen when a door opens. But remember when Paul said a wide door is open for me and there are many adversaries? Most people say, there's many adversaries. That door is closed. I'm not going through that door. People don't like me. That's a, that's a closed door. What is he seeing? What is he hearing from the Spirit of God? He's recognizing that there is an atmosphere. There is an opening, an opportunity for many people to hear the gospel. And forget the adversaries. They're always going to be there. This is a time and a place where I need to stay because the field is ready. Sometimes we just, because we're not alert, remember this whole chapter began with telling you to stay alert in prayer. And when you're not alert, you, you stumble around in the darkness, right? We're spiritual people. 
Now, what does it mean to be spiritual? I'm not saying that you're spiritual sometimes and you're not spiritual other times. We are a spirit. So we always are spiritual, right? Everything is spiritual. There's not spiritual time. I'm not trying to be more spiritual. I am already spiritual. I'm a spirit, right? You are a believer. When you are, came alive in Christ, your spirit came alive. Now, here's the question. Are we walking by the spirit or are we walking by the flesh? What does that mean? Well, that means walking by the flesh means that I'm just making decisions the same way everybody else does. What do I see? What do I hear? What do I feel? What's going on in my emotions? What's going on with what I see? What's going on with what I'm hearing from people? All of those things, that's how the world makes their decision. That's what the scripture calls walking in darkness. Why? Because there's a whole world you don't see that's more real than what you're perceiving with your physical senses. Walking by the Spirit is being led by the invisible hand of God. And the voice of God. More often the voice of God. Jesus said you'll follow me because you know my voice. You'll hear my voice and you'll come. And there's an awareness in the spirit. That, that, that sometimes goes completely opposite from what you see. I've been in places. I remember uh, being invited to a Bible camp. Of young people. And these young people came from a particular denomination. Where it was like. Nobody ever clapped, nobody lifted their hands. If you said amen, an usher came and got you and put you out. You know, it was, and so I was a little bit amazed that they wanted me to come. But I said, okay, all right, well, here I am. And, and I preached, and it would have been so much easier to preach to the wall. Because the wall doesn't scowl at you. And, and you have no real expectation of the wall. You're not looking for emotion from the wall. If I'm preaching to the wall, I'm getting what I thought I'd get from the wall. Well, at least I'm hearing my voice bounce back at me. But this is like, this is like recording studio level, absorb the sound and die right there, you know? And... When you get 10 minutes into a message and you feel like, can I please just quit now? And you feel like, you go, okay, God, I, I know God wants me to finish. And you finish and then they say, well, you have two more sessions. Oh, God. You know. Like, <laughs> so you preach and you preach. And I remember at that particular camp, I finally, I was done. I gave it to the Lord. Look, look, Jesus, I came for, because of you right? I didn't come for people to clap. I didn't come for people to say amen. I came to do your will. That's why I'm here. That's the lineup of young people saying, that was exactly what I needed to hear. That's changed my life. I, I knew I was supposed to be here for a reason, and it was to hear that word. And you're just sitting here going, why didn't you tell your face all of this? You know? Because like, the way you looked at me is the way I look at people I really don't like. In fact, I don't know if I've ever looked at anybody like that. It's not passive. It's aggressive. I guess that's your concentrating face. But like, and so God kind of, God kind of like gives you, I guess he's trying, at that point he's babying me going, oh, very well. If you need to see what an impact you had, I'm going to bring him to you. I don't owe you this, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. Like, okay, thank you, Jesus. Right? Why? Because I'm judging by what I see and what I hear, whether someone's receiving. Rather than the way Jesus judged, the way Paul judged, the way Peter judged, where you look through it and they look at somebody, they use their eyes, but they're looking by the Spirit. How many times does it say, and Paul just gazed intently at somebody? What's he looking at? He's not looking for their facial expressions. He's not looking for fire in their eyes. He's looking and saying, God, what do I need to see here? And there's a moment where he sees that a man has faith. You can't look at somebody and just by the way they're crossing their arms or opening. or You can't tell if they have faith. He's seeing by the Spirit. And when Paul said there are many adversaries on the other side of that door, he has to choose, am I going to... Go by what I know, which is people don't like this, 
Or am I going to go by what I hear and what I see by the Spirit of God, which is this is a field that's ready. So I'll stay here a little bit longer, he says. I'll stay a little bit longer. There's a great passage in Luke chapter 10 that talks about a person of peace. You ever heard this term, man of peace, or person of peace? It's a wonderful term, and we, we've seen it in action, lived it out, especially on the mission field. When you go to a place that's never heard the gospel, right? Some people, they'll, they'll go to a town or a village and, and not have a contact and just start preaching. Well, you don't have a church to preach at. You don't have a Bible study to meet in. You're just preaching to people. And when that happens... Where do you start, right? Nobody's invited you. Nobody's giving you a place to stay. Will you find yourself in the same position that Jesus' disciples found themselves in? And in fact, Jesus like took their parachute away. He says, I'm going to send you from town to town. Oh, by the way, you can't take your wallet. What? You can't take a spare coat. Come on. And he's just saying, no, I want you to trust that I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to use people to do it. We'd all be okay if God said, I'm going to provide for you like I provided for Elijah. I'm going to send ravens. They're going to bring you food. But he didn't. He said, you're going to have to rely on people. People are way less reliable than ravens. (laughs) I'm going to send you to this town. Then he says, you're going to go and you're going to heal the sick and you're going to cleanse the lepers and you're going to cast out evil. Cleanse the lepers, not the leopards. Um, That's a totally different ministry. Um, you're going to cast out evil spirits. He said, but when you come to a person of peace's house, a man of peace, when you find this guy, he says, stay at his house. And then Jesus says, don't, go, don't keep going from house to house. Stay at this dude's house. Why? Because this is a guy, this is a family that has been open to the Lord. Their hearts have been opened. And they'll be the key to the rest of the community. You have to recognize when God's already doing work. God's already started on this guy. He's your, he's your door. He's your man. He's the guy or she, as in the case many times in the book of Acts, it was a woman. They're your point of entry to the whole community. So one of the methods, when I just want to rely on me and my ability to talk or convince or, or preach a good gospel message, then I'm going to say, let's hit as many houses as we can. Quantity, quantity, quantity. Because if I can hit as many houses, I have a better shot at reaching more people. But the Lord says, no, you're going to have to trust me. I've prepared somebody for you. And I don't want you to feel like you have to keep going to house. You need to stay there and pour out to that person. And watch what happens. Because little daughter got healed. Goes and tells her friends, I got healed. Uncle was listening in, received Jesus. He goes and tells his friends that he used to drink with. This guy... He's preaching a message I've never heard before. You need to come here. And pretty soon, the whole community, they, they didn't want to listen to you because you're a stranger. But they'll listen to their neighbor. What do you call that? You call that an open door. And what Jesus is saying is, you can just keep going from village to village. You can keep going from house to house. You can keep going from person to person. And there's value to that. And, and they did that plenty of times. But when God stops you and says, this is an open door, stop moving and stay until he tells you you're done. And that's been so valuable for us to realize that there are times where it's more important to recognize that God's already working. Let's stay here and do the work here. Because there's an open door. As Paul said it, a wide open door for effective service. Effective service. Isn't that what we're looking for? That I'm not going to waste my time. I'm, I'm not just working for the sake of working. That, that there's results on the other side of this. I'm working for the king. And so he says here that 
You know, many times when we hear that, you know, is there an open door? Is there not an open door? We just kind of chalk it up to whether God wanted to make that door open or whether he wanted to shut it. And I do believe God is the one that opens the door and he's the one that shuts the doors. Jesus is the one with the key, right? He says, I open doors no man can shut. I shut doors no man can open. So when we hear that, we just think, well, God will decide which doors are supposed to be open. But here, that's not what it says. It says, you need to pray that a door would open. Sometimes there's doors that are supposed to be open, but they're not open yet. God says, now it's time to pray. I have this book that really affected me as a young man. Young man, right? Like, because <laughs> I'm really old now, but when I was really young, and it was called Revival Fires, but it was by a guy named Wesley Duell. And it was about all these great revivals um, the different points in history, but especially in the last, you know, 500 years. And um, he told a story. Uh, how many of you have heard of uh, Duncan Campbell? Any, anybody hear about Duncan Campbell? Um, powerful move of God uh, on the British Isles in Wales and Scotland and in Ireland. And so Duncan Campbell was, was just a, a guy that stirred up revival wherever he went. And he had been preaching at a conference in Ireland where uh, I mean, a lot of people had gathered. This was a big deal. And he preached this keynote message and then he was scheduled to preach again the next day. And he heard God say this name of this little tiny island. Just this little tiny island that if I were to name it now, and I, I don't have it written down so I'm not going to try but it's just this little tiny island, starts with an H. Uh, this little area, rural, it's a, it's a rocky island off the, off the coast of Scotland. It's not on anybody's radar, but he hears this name over and over again. And he hears Jesus say, you got to go there. So I said, okay. So he tells the conference or organizer, I've got to leave. I got to go to this place. And the guy goes, but you're our speaker. You're scheduled in the morning. You can't go. He says, I must go. So he gets in a boat. And he finds a way to get to that little island. He says it's nothing but big jagged cliffs. He like climbs up the cliffs at great, I mean, it's not easy to get anywhere. He finally gets up to the top of the cliffs and he finds this young man. And he goes, do you guys have a church? And the guy goes, well, kind of. He said, do you, do you have like a, a pastor? He says, no, not really. Do you have any elders? Yeah, we've got those. He goes, okay, can I see one of them? Tell him Duncan Campbell is here. So the guy goes and looks for one of these elders. He comes back and he says, he's waiting for you, but we just want you to know that there's a meeting tonight at nine and you're the speaker. And Duncan goes, well, how do you know? How did you know to schedule this meeting? How long has it been scheduled? He says, we scheduled it before you came. He said, well, how did you know that I was coming? And he talked to this old man and he said, this old man told him, because I've been praying and asking God. And he said, you were going to come. And I said, how is this man ever going to come? He said, don't you worry about that. I'll worry about that. You just keep praying. This elder kept getting on his knees and praying for revival in his little island. He kept praying and praying and praying. And then the Lord said something to him about, about where he was. He said, it will be like the dew, and the, it'll be like the dew over Israel. It'll be the it, it, revival, in my, in my spirit will be like the dew on the blades of grass. It's a, it a verse from Hosea. He says, it's going to be like dew. So the, this, this guy just keeps praying. Then God shows him Duncan Campbell's going to come. He says, this guy will never find us. Yes, he will. You pray. And the man shows up and says, here I am. And he goes, good. You're scheduled for 9 o'clock. <laughs> and the stuff they experienced in that set of meetings, they began to meet like nightly, regularly. There were moments where uh, there, uh, after one of the first meetings, in fact, it may have been the first meeting, he preached. Why is he there? He could have been at a conference with a lot of really uh, passionate and well-known preachers of the gospel that had come to hear him speak. He left them because God said there's an open door that you need to be at. And his first meeting, he said, nobody seemed like they were getting anything. He did a call. Nobody came up. You know when you're a traveling preacher, you don't know how to read people. 
You don't know how to read these people. You don't know how they normally respond. Your best bet at knowing whether they receive something or not is to have an altar call at the end. <laughs> That's how you know, right? I know you guys well enough that I know whether you're getting something or not because I, I, this is my home. Right? I, I know you well enough to know, boy, that was a rough service or that went well. <laughs> But when you're at a new place, the best thing you do is you just go, anybody need that? Why don't you come down to the altar? And you go, oh, good, thank God, somebody got something. You know, there's people at the altar. I've preached many a time where I thought nobody got a thing, and then you did a, you did a call to pray for people, and it, the, the altar is filled, and you go, well, okay, well, somebody got something. He did that, nobody came up. <laughs> this is not good. Usually there's like one old lady that'll come up, because she, <laughs> she feels sorry for you. She'll say... I don't think I need it, but I guess I could see a way that you could pray for me and that would be all right. Bless her heart, she comes up. He said people started to leave the meeting and they got froze in the track on the way out. Couldn't move. Until they turn around and come back. God lets them come back to the tent. And they just like stuck to the floor and they begin to groan. And repentance is coming out of the people naturally. Duncan says, the Spirit of God is here. He says, well, come on then. And there was a wave of the Spirit that felt like a hurricane in that place. And it swept that island, and it stayed. And it stayed. And every night, people came to Jesus. And every night, lives were changed. It was because there was a man who had no reason to think this guy would ever come. But he prayed for a door to open. So the thing you need to ask yourself is, does God want there to be an open door? And if that's yes, then pray for an open door. Pray for an open door. Paul says, when you pray for an open door for me, there are two things that are going to happen. There's that door of faith that opens people's hearts. It, it, there, there's, a, there's an atmosphere of reception where people are just... They're eager to hear. They're ready to hear. You know, a lot of that happens with the advanced prayer. A lot of that happens with the advanced work. That doesn't happen because the preacher preached a really catchy message. That happens because somebody was praying in advance that doors would be open. I know we've been on the other side of the world and knew when the church was gathered for prayer because we could feel the shift in the spirit. Something's happening. And then there's that door of utterance. And as somebody that preaches regularly, let me tell you, practicing preaching helps, but it doesn't increase the power. Does that make sense to you? You can practice preaching and you'll get better at stringing words together, but you, you won't change the, the authority or the power that you're preaching with because that doesn't come through practice. It, it, in, in a way, come, practice, if you're practicing relying on the Spirit, then yes, but it doesn't come through practicing your speech. When Paul says, if you'll pray for me, I'll speak this clearly and boldly as it ought to be spoke. He's saying there is utterance that's going to come when I preach that didn't come from me. Oh, but Paul must have been a great preacher. I bet he didn't need any help. I bet he did. Fact, the evidence we have in the scripture is that he wasn't that great of a preacher. He, said, he talks about, he says, I was with you and trembling and fear and I didn't use any fancy words. I chose not to know any. I, I bet he could talk well. I bet he had a lot to say. But there were times where he said when he would come, he'd write a letter and people are like, that's an impressive letter. But when he came in person, they were like, really? That's it? That's the guy? <laughs> people were often disappointed with Paul. And he says this in Ephesians 6. I want you to hear what he says. He says in verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. You notice that same thing that when you pray for me, Utterance will be given in the opening of my mouth. I've talked to you about this before. How in the book of Acts, 
when Philip catches the chariot or when Peter goes to Cornelius' house, there'll be these moments where they're making their introductions and they'll be talking. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the conversation, it says, then Philip opened his mouth and began to speak or Peter opened his mouth and began to speak. And you go, you were already talking. And who talks without opening their mouth? (laughs) Seems like an unnecessary detail. Unless the gospel is being preached by a bunch of ventriloquists, you know, with their little dummy. Of course you opened your mouth. But I believe that when, it, when the writer goes out of his way to say that, it's because at that moment, see, there are, they're, they're there, they're talking just like any human would. But at that moment, the Holy Spirit gives them the words to say. They've got to choose to open their mouth. They've got to choose to say, I'm going to say something. But it's God that's giving the utterance. Paul says, pray that when I open my mouth, God's going to speak through me. So as somebody that preaches regularly, I can't tell you how much I am grateful and I treasure the prayers of the people in our church that are praying for what I'm going to say on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning because I'm just a servant like you guys. And we all need the Spirit of God. And we'd all be able to function a little bit better if somebody was praying on our behalf. And in praying for others, we're enlarged. I'll give you one more story about an open door that we've experienced that really had an effect on me. Um, Most of you have heard me tell this story, but um, God linked us up and linked up our family and this church uh, back in the 80s with uh, um, some believers in Mindanao in the Philippines. And the way it happened was kind of crazy when my mom and dad, and, well, I guess I was there too, uh, when we lived in Loon Lake, Saskatchewan, which is just a little town, you know where it is, an hour and a half from here. Uh, we lived in Loon Lake. Um, mom and dad got a, a letter from a guy named Buenafe Panaril. And it was this letter that was addressed to David and Linda Brownie Bounds, right? Was that right? Yeah, yeah, she's here. Um, I'm just thinking you're, oh, that's right, okay. Either way, it's addressed to them in Loon Lake, USA. Not Loon Lake, Canada, not Loon Lake, Saskatchewan, Loon Lake, USA. Just so you know, there's a lot of Loon Lakes across North America. I met my wife in Loon Lake, Washington. So a letter that's addressed to Loon Lake, USA, and it's not like they did a Google search, it's the 80s, (laughs) made it to them in Loon Lake, Saskatchewan, faster than the mail they were getting from the southern United States. Like it was like rapid time. So dad, mom and dad paid attention to this letter a little bit more than the other letters that you get. Something's different about this. Okay. So a few years later, uh, dad goes and he goes and ministers at this this place, and they just kept going back. Then eventually, mom went with them, and we, you know, we brought teams over there. But in in the year two thousand, my dad and I went, and we were in a different little village in the jungle, um, in Zamboanga del Norte, and it's just this little village. There's nothing special about it. They had started a little Bible school, um, just Nipa huts. There was nothing you would you wouldn't accidentally find this place. You had to know where you were going. I wasn't feeling well. I had got a bug or something. I wasn't, I wasn't doing too hot. And uh, we had driven through the night on the back of a motorcycle in the rain. And all I, all I wanted to do was just find an outhouse. Like that was kind of, so I wasn't really thinking like, God, use me in a great and mighty way. I was just trying to survive. <laughs> but we sat down and they fed us some food. And there was a lady that served us who happened to be the pastor's, uh, one of the pastor's relatives. And she, she, could serve us and smile, but she couldn't speak any English. And so she smiled whenever we talked to her, but she kind of gave us, you know, that smile that says, I don't know what you're saying. And I didn't, we didn't really know much to say to her besides the normal just green, greetings in Cebuano. And so she went away and she was real nice, but she, we couldn't talk to her because she, neither one of us spoke the language. And so they gave us this room up above where they met, where the church met. And the church met, there was these concrete walls, but they were like these cinder blocks that you could see through them. You know what I mean? And uh, so they had covered some of the cinder blocks with 
a paper banner so that we'd have privacy in this upper room. And we were just going to rest because that night there was going to be a, 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 a major meeting where we we're going to preach the gospel. And so we're really excited about it. We found out that they had had a whole team of people praying, fasting and praying for a month leading up to this meeting. So we think we're doing all the work by flying there. Nuh-uh. They're doing all the work by praying, fasting and praying. They had a calendar where uh, they had names on the calendar. And the closer we got to today's date, the more names there were. And these are the names of the people that are fasting and praying. So then they're having a prayer meeting that afternoon, and we're just trying to get some rest. And the lady that didn't speak English is the one that's leading. And she was such a little quiet little lady, but when she started praying, it was like a lion was roaring. She begins to pray, and we don't understand it, but we know the church is moving. And then we she switches. She stops speaking Cebuano, and she starts uh, praying in tongues. And it just sounds like, Anybody praying in tongues until all of a sudden, in clear English, she says, oh, Canadian, come help us. Dad's head shoots up off the little bamboo cot. Did you hear that? She says it again, oh, Canadian, come help us. What in the world does that mean? Where'd she learn that? But it wasn't like, it didn't sound like somebody who didn't speak the language trying to speak English. It was clear. That night, there was just a massive amount of people that came and a massive amount that came to the Lord. It's a powerful meeting. But we didn't know that in that little village, that little tiny village, that the pastor there, who didn't seem like he was anything special, he was just a pastor in a tiny village in the middle of the jungle, this pastor was later going to be the contact that we connected with that planted churches all over that province. And became a major apostolic force in the region. We had no idea. But when my dad heard that Canadian come and help us, he said, we're going to connect with this guy. We didn't know what God had in store. But we knew this village was different. God opened a door. But the door was open because all those people had been praying. I do believe that there are times where God just sovereignly opens a door and there's no reason for it other than it fits exactly part of his plan. But I also believe this. When God wants to do something, he uses people. And when God wants to do something, he uses prayers. When we perceive that there's supposed to be some open doors in Lloydminster, that there are supposed to be some open doors at your workplace, that there's supposed to be open doors across Canada, that there's open doors all over the world. We don't want to waste our time stumbling around in the dark, knocking, knocking into walls and hoping doors are open. We want to hear from God. God, where do you want us to go? God, where do you want us to stay? God, where do you want us to focus our efforts? God, is, should I stay or should I keep moving? And, and what I'm, I'm trying to get across to you tonight is that number one, when there's an open door, change your schedule. Yeah. Stay, go, whatever it takes. But when God opens a door, that's where you want to be. You know, Jesus in John chapter four, he skipped a meal and his disciples were really worried about him. <laughs> oh no, where'd you get food? He goes, I got to tell you guys, there's been an open door in Samaria, and he says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. What he's saying is, guys, I, this is what I get energy from. This is what I get life from. This is what I get satisfaction from. There's an open door. This whole city's coming to me, and you're caring about food? So maybe you got to take some time off work. Maybe you got to skip a meal. Maybe you need to stay up a little later. But when God opens a door, stay there. And maybe, you know, this is how you're approaching your family. I'm just going to like keep hammering at these nails. They, they hate when I come to dinner because they, they think I'm a loon. They think I'm totally crazy. They think that I've joined a cult. So I'm just going to keep preaching at them though. Praise the Lord. All right, good. But have you ever considered that the Holy Spirit's at work in ways you don't know? 
And if you would spend some time praying that maybe there'd be some doors that'd be unlocked and hearts that'd be open and, and maybe it's not about giving everybody half an hour of the gospel message equally. Maybe it's about realizing that today, Uncle Jim is open in a way he's never been open before. And perceiving that, saying, I'm going to spend some time with Uncle Jim. And on the way, Maybe instead of rehearsing in your head what you're going to say to Uncle Jim and all the arguments he's brought before, well, what about this and what about that? What about the fossil record? Or, you know, whatever he's saying. What if on the way, instead of rehearsing your argument, you spent the whole time praying and saying what Jesus said when Jesus said, I want you to make up your mind not to prepare beforehand what you're going to say, for in that hour I'll give you the words. What if you trusted God that in that moment I'll give you utterance? And you spend the time praying. And when it comes time to talk to Uncle Jim, you say, Uncle Jim, let's talk. And in that moment, God gives you words that answer questions you didn't know he had. That's an open door. I'll tell you right now, and we're going to close with this thought. I believe in preaching the gospel at all times. I don't believe you need to wait on God to tell you to preach the gospel. I don't, need you, I don't think you need to wait on the Lord to tell you to love people. I think that's automatic. But I also think we need to be led and alert. So here's what I want us to be praying for. Because I, I wouldn't preach this whole message just so you can get an education. We're preaching this so that things are going to shift. So here's what I want us to know. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to begin to pray first for Lloyd Minster that God would open doors for the word and open doors of faith in our city in places we don't expect. Right? Because when you see the doors open in the, in the New Testament, he's not like, yeah, I went to this church I always go to and for some reason it went better than usual. No, he's talking about new doors with new groups of people. You know what's most exciting about that? When, you, when we're talking about God opening a door in a place we don't expect, this is harvest we, we haven't even been looking at. These are people we haven't even thought about. Like, I mean, what if God just said, you know what? There's going to be a revival and a bunch of Jehovah Witnesses are going to come to me. What, what if that happened? Right? What if he said, I'm going to do something amongst the LGBTQ community in, in Lloydminster and they're going to come to Jesus in, in large numbers? Would you resist that or would you say, okay, God, let's, let's see you work? You know, there are places and people in our community that, what if God said, there's going to be such a great revival amongst the, the rigs of Lloydminster that it's going to be like, it's going to be like old school revival springing up. And as, the, as you go from rig to rig, it's going to go like, like fire, uh, which normally is bad when you're talking about oil rigs, but it's going to jump from fire, from place to place, this fire. I mean, all these things are possible. And, and I, I would want all of those things to happen. So why don't we say, God, open doors in Lloydminster. And you don't have to tell them where they are. You just say, Lord, open the doors. Then, you wanna, then this is what I want you to pray. God, where are the open doors? And then thirdly, God, give us a door of utterance that we may speak your word boldly. We may speak the mystery with boldness and, and plainly and boldly as it ought to be spoken. You see, when God gives you utterance, the gospel comes out in a way that people understand. Yeah. Right? That's what Paul said. Why would you have to pray that I could preach plainly? It would just seem like I would normally just choose to preach plainly, and I would. No, he's saying there's a clarity that comes. See, if, if Satan is the author of confusion, God is a God of order and clarity. I've noticed this, I've noticed it several times. I will get into an environment where I'm asked to preach and there is opposition that you feel and it's difficult to string your words together. Your thoughts are jumbled. You have prepared, I've, I've, I've prepared, I've prayed, but I'm struggling to get the words out in a way that makes sense. That's not me not preparing. That's a spiritual issue. And when there's prayer that goes ahead, and when people have been praying, God, give them utterance. Give these people utterance when they preach. And pray it for people that you think don't need it. 
pray it for people that you think are so, such superstars that when that guy comes to town, he doesn't need my help. Yes, he does. Yes, she does. Pray for them. Yeah. And when that happens, I've noticed this. When people are praying, things come out of you that you didn't know were there. You say things that hit, and it hits people's heads like, how come I never saw that before? It's because the Holy Spirit's opening your eyes. And the Holy Spirit is allowing that guy to speak or that lady to speak in a way that you can understand. Let me tell you, when God opens doors, he doesn't wait for everybody to have a theology degree. He hits them where they are. See, if we're praying for the kind of revival I think we're praying for, we need to be ready for people that have no background, no reference point, that God will speak their language, that God will enable us to say things, and we'll go, why did I say that? You said that because that's what they're going to hear. God speaks their language better than you do. Sometimes we speak church language so well we forget we're speaking it, and God can speak their language. So I, I, I want you to pray. I'll just go over those three things again because I really do want you to do this, right? <laughs> Number one, let's pray for God to open doors in Lloydminster. Number two, let's pray that we be aware of those open doors. And number three, let's pray that he gives us utterance, yeah. all right? Not just the preachers in town, yeah. but all of us. Because there are doors that are open to you that aren't open to me, mm-hmm. right? There are certain people that are, un- they're, they're, they're made for that door, and I want you to know that Paul said, our sphere is enlarged. As you're enlarged, our sphere is enlarged. People are often the door. So there's somebody you work with. There's somebody you work with that's the door. And when that person receives the gospel, you may have been hitting your head for five years, which is no success. But when this guy comes to Jesus, he's going to bring 15 people with him. We've seen it in Loon Lake. <laughs> we're like, where we're just stagnant. Our numbers are consistent, which you think consistent is good. I'm not looking for consistent that way. I think consistent in Christ is upward. So it's just plateaued. And then this drug dealer gets saved or this lady that's just kind of been, been always on the outside. Somebody gets saved. And next Sunday, you got 20 more people in your church. And you wonder how that happened. It's because they were the door to a whole new group of people, to a whole new house, a whole new family, a whole new social group. You know, God loves people. He loves people, and that's why I'm not afraid to talk about growing numerically. I, I believe we need to grow internally. We need to mature, but I'm not afraid to talk about growing numerically because I believe that God loves people, and I believe he wants them to come to, to him. So I don't believe it's bad to, to pray for that. Not so that we have a big church, but so that he has a big kingdom. So that heaven is filled. So that hell is emptied. This is all the stuff we want. Let's pray for that. Father, we just thank you today that you are opening doors. So Lord, guide us in our prayers this week. I know that, um, I know that there are people in this room that take that seriously. I know there are people in this room that said, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to pray that. So, Lord, you said to be alert in prayer. I believe that means that you're going to guide us through our prayer. You're going to speak to us through our prayer. You're going to show us how to pray. Lord, would you teach us how to pray in ways that we didn't know? Father, we ask that your spirit would pray through us. And groaning's too deep for words when we don't know how to pray. Lord, that you would lead us and guide us into all truth. Father, I thank you that today you are preparing for yourself a people that are ready, willing, and able, that are flexible, that are mobile, that are they're at the ready because we believe, we're believing for more than we've thought before. We're believing and expecting greater things than we've expected before because our expectation, our, 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 our view of you is getting larger. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you. Hey, it happens to be my wife's birthday. Happy birthday, Tia. So if we storm out of here a little early, I'm not being rude. I just want to treat her to a nice after church meal, okay? So.